Hello and welcome to the 22nd episode of the Fanville Hockey Podcast. Today, I'm your host, Evan. I'm joined by our co-host, Dakota. How you doing today, Dakota? Doing good. I do have a little statement here. I just want to say Montreal's an absolute wagon. They beat Toronto. They have beat Winnipeg, who swept just to get swept. So, Montreal's a wagon. And if you're going against Carey Price... You're going to lose to a god. Correct. Carey Price is carrying that team. But, you know, their offense has stood up. You know, they've played a big part. And on top of that, they're on a pretty good winning streak right now in the playoffs. They beat Toronto in the last three games, and they just swept Winnipeg. That's a seven-game win streak in playoffs. If you have that going for you, I mean, you're bound to get past some rounds, obviously. We also have a, another co-host with us today. He's a special guest co-host. His name is... AJ Sessa, how are you doing today, AJ? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, thank you guys for having me on and you know, looking forward to it. So AJ's going to stick around and he's going to basically kind of fill in Tyler's role here for us as a third voice on here so you just don't get tired of me and Dakota. But speaking of the NHL and playoffs and all, let's jump into it. The NHL did announce a lot of finalists for trophies this week due to the second round almost being over. This is normally when they do it. But to start it off with, NHL announced the finalists for the Ted Lindsay Award. This goes to the most outstanding player in the NHL. So there's three finalists. The first one is forward Connor McDavid from the Edmonton Oilers. He racked up 33 goals for and 72 assists for 105 points. Very impressive in just a 54-game season. Another finalist is forward Austin Matthews from the Toronto Maple Leafs. He had 41 goals, 25 assists for 66 points. And the last finalist for the Ted Lindsay is forward Sidney Crosby from the Pittsburgh Penguins. He had 24 goals, 38 assists for 62 points. Who's winning this award, Dakota, in your eyes? If it's not Connor McDavid, then it's a wrong decision. Yeah, I feel... I feel like Connor's going to get that, and then Matthews had a good season, and he'll win the, the Richard. Well, yeah, he's already locked in yeah. at that. But, yeah, Connor McDavid is – he broke records this year. I think that's pretty safe to say. What about you, AJ? Yeah, I mean, at this point, like you said, um, with his 105 points, that's right up there, almost at two points a game. You're, nobody in the league is even close to matching that right now, so – yeah, that was going to be my next point, was no one's really close to him. Like, obviously, Crosby and Matthews are good players, but, you know, just looking at the point differential of these three, 105 for McDavid, 66 for Matthews, and 62 for Crosby, I mean, that's pretty close to doubling some pretty high talent in the NHL. And guys that have proven themselves to be, you know, good players in the regular season, at least for Matthews. <laughs> So the next award we have is the Selkie Trophy. This goes to the forward who excels in a defensive aspect of the game, but they are a forward themselves. The three finalists for this are Boston forward Patrice Bergeron, as always, Florida forward Alexander Barkov, and Vegas forward Mark Stone. How are we feeling, Dakota? I'm going to say I watch all these guys, but I think Mark Stone's the most defensive player there. Out of these three. Yeah. Yeah. Patrice has won it before, so that kind of makes me lean towards him because he has won before. Barkov 
has been here and there with it. And a lot of players or a lot of teams, you know, it's, it's Florida. And this year they kind of popped off. So I think he's getting more recognition this year. But other than that, I would probably say Stone, too. He is a difference maker, it seems, every game. What do you think, AJ? Looking at Stone, like you said, he's a big difference maker. My bias would have me leaning a little bit more towards um, Bergeron, though. But especially this year, um, now that they have a little bit younger of a defensive core, a little bit more of a, um offensive-focused uh, defense with um, McAvoy and Everybody else, um, I think Bergeron's gotten to kind of settle in with a little bit more of an offensive role being a forward as opposed to having to take the defensive aspect of it. So I'm going with Mark Stone. Yeah, like what you said with Bergeron, he he plays a huge role in that Boston team. And when he is absent, you can clearly see that they're missing something. And like I've said before, the NHL likes to pick the same people over and over again. So I would probably assume Bergeron would win it. But I think Mark Stone is probably the best at it at the moment in the NHL. And sadly for Barkov, I feel like he's just up against two like giants that play this type of game. Moving on to the Calder Trophy. This is the Rookie of the Year. There's three finalists. The first one is forward from Minnesota, Krill Kaprizov. He had 27 goals, 24 assists, and 51 points. The second finalist is Dallas forward Jason Robertson. He had 17 goals, 28 assists, and 45 points. And the last one is our first goalie, Carolina goaltender Alex Nedeljkovic. He had a 1.9 goals against average and a .932 save percentage. Dakota, who is your winner of the Calder this year in your eyes? Mine's going to be Krill. Krill Phil's going to be the winner. He... Basically, came into his rookie year and changed a whole team. He That's did, how yes. I view it. Yeah, so you're not even looking at the points? No, like even if the points weren't there, like he changed that team's momentum when he got there. Yes, he completely flipped the Minnesota Wild around. What about you, AJ? Yeah, I agree with Dakota. Um, one that's standing out for me, like you mentioned, the first goalie, um, we have Nadelkovich. And, I mean, looking at the save percentage and the goals against average, that's, you know, he's right up there with, I mean, not only the best rookie goalie, but he's up with some of the best goalies out of the whole league. If you would have asked me this about halfway through the season, I'm saying Kaprizov for sure, like no doubt. But Robertson had a huge coming out party at the end of, like towards the end of the season. He was playing on fire. And then Nadelkovic. Like AJ said, these numbers are very impressive for a rookie goaltender. And he's not that old. Like he, like some of the goalies that we've seen in the past come in from re, like recent years have been a little bit on the older side. He's not that old to start off with. And, yes, he's working with a better team than I would say Minnesota and Dallas are. So that you kind of have to take that into consideration. I do think Kaprizov is going to take this one probably pretty easily, but I think it's closer than most people think. I think these are three really good players, and they're someone you know to look out for in the future. Next trophy they awarded or announced finalists for is the Lady Bing Trophy. This goes to the player who shows sportsmanship, with also playing at a high level. 
So normally how this trophy goes is it goes to the person with the least amount of penalty minutes and the most amount of games played. So the three finalists are Carolina defenseman Jacob Slavin. He has two penalty minutes in 52 games. That's pretty impressive. Minnesota defenseman Jared Spurgeon. He has six penalty minutes in 54 games. And Toronto forward Austin Matthews, 10 minutes of penalties in 52 games. What do we think in Dakota? I would put Jared Spurgeon. The only reason I don't say Matthews is because of that one incident where he just went up and uh, he, like, back-checked the guy at center ice because he was mad. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So that's the only thing why I wouldn't pick Matthews because just I remember that. But I'd rather pick Spurgeon just because how long he's been in the NHL. And a lot of people forgot about him until this year, and then he started playing really good when Minnesota was on the come up. Yeah, I think there's a couple things for Spurgeon this year that kind of boosted his confidence. One was getting the C on his jersey, and just the team in general got better, so it made everyone look better. And they also had a rookie goaltender that you know stepped up. So all around good things in Minnesota. What about you, AJ? Um, I got to go with Jacob Slavin. You know, 52 games played, only two penalty minutes. That's, you know, there are players who get, you know, two penalties, like, in a single game. And to only have two penalty minutes in 52 games is something that's, you know, it's it's what this trophy stands for. Yeah, like I said earlier, this trophy normally goes to the person with the least amount of penalty minutes with the most amount of games played, like, that they could have made. So I think Austin Matthews is kind of more mathematically out because he's at double digits of penalty minutes with 10. So I think it's going to be a race between Slavin and Spurgeon. And like I said earlier, it normally goes to the person with the least. So I feel like Slavin's just going to get it off of, I mean, two penalty minutes in 52 games. I mean, that's one penalty in the season. (laughs) That's pretty good as a defenseman. And he plays both sides of the puck. He's offensive, gifted, not with the scoring, but he's really a puck moving guy and he plays defensively so moving on to the king clancy trophy this goes to the player who shows leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made an impact in their community the finalists for this are nashville goaltender pecorine or new jersey defenseman pk suban and san jose forward curtis gabriel dakota who's winning the clancy i think it'll be uh pecorine and if Curtis Gabriel did win an award. It'd be like the player getting his ass beat the most. I mean, that guy about every game got his ass beat. So if they had an award for that, he'd get it. But unfortunately, that's not what this award's about. I'd rather see Pecorine win it. Yes, yes. Pecorine, he took a step down from being the lead, you know, the starting goaltender in Nashville. He let Saros take over, and it really seems like a situation we had a couple years ago with – Bennington and Allen when Allen was more of a role model for Bennington coming up even through the playoffs and stuff like that it seems like that is what Pecorine was attempting to do this year sadly they had to face a Carolina team early and get eliminated what about what do you think AJ yeah I mean um Rene is a very um influential I guess like like what you were going on with as a, a role model so if we're going from that aspect, I'm picking him. Um, but with, you know, Subban, I think it was right after he left the Canadians, when he, or, or maybe it was when he was still with them, 
um, just the amount of money he donated and yeah. ha- like how no matter where he is, all of the communities he's playing for, you know, he donates to either hospitals there or just programs there to help everybody. So, yeah, I'm going with one of those two. Yeah, Subban, I think, is kind of a dark horse in this one. He he is a big community guy. He spends a lot of his money on the area that he lives in in the current time. If it's for Montreal, Nashville, New Jersey, wherever he's playing at, he does spend a lot of time out with the fans and stuff like that. And I would not be surprised if he won. Curtis Gabriel's kind of someone I didn't really think about for this award until they announced it, to be honest with you. So I think it's a race between Rene and Subban on this one. And the last award that the NHL announced this week is the Bill Masterton Trophy. This is given to the player who shows dedication to the sport of hockey. There's three finalists for this. Once again, Minnesota defenseman Matt Dumba, Philadelphia Flyers forward Oscar Lindbaum, and San Jose Sharks forward Patrick Marlowe. Very good group of guys. Who do you think, Dakota? This is tough. Especially with Lynn Blomham recovering uh, cancer and all that stuff. And I'm having to get back on the ice. And that was not in any way easy for him. But then you also have to look at Patrick Marlowe with how many games he's been played. He's played the most now. And I've seen a stat that he's seen 33% of the players in the NHL. And it's a hard choice, but I would pick Marlowe. That's yeah. who I'd pick. Like I said, great group of guys. Yes, with Lindbaum coming back from his uh, cancer that he had a couple years ago and that he's been battling, and he finally got in a full season. Marlowe with his multiple games played. Dumba's had some stuff he's gone through. What What do you think, AJ? Um, yeah, I think it's just going to be mainly a race between Lindbaum and Marlowe. Um, for me, I think Lindbaum's going to get it. Um I mean, just to, you know, go through what he went through and then come back at, at not not only a full season, or well, as full of a season as he could have played, but, you know, to play in the amount of games he played in, I think that shows a lot about how dedicated he is. Yeah, I think we have two obvious picks here, and it's Lindbaum and Marlowe, because, I mean, Marlowe's just has so many games played in general and he's on an Ironman streak as well on top of that and Limbaum, you know coming back after a horrible you know disease he's he's back and he's ready to play and he's got his body back up to you know NHL level and he's you know he's scoring goals and he's back to the way he used to be in ways so normally the Masterton Trophy is probably one of the harder ones to give out because it really has no hockey you know background to it it's more of a mental and personal thing so I think every team you know they put their Masterton guy out there I think they all should deserve to win it but sadly it can only go to one person so now that we're past the trophy part of this podcast we will move on to the NHL news Winnipeg announced that they will allow up to 500 fully vaccinated healthcare workers to games one and two versus Montreal. So that had the whiteout with actual people in it. And the Bud Light Seltzer can was not alone. The Canadian government has also approved a travel exemption to NHL teams for the final two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So there will be playoff hockey 
in the last two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs in Canada. So American teams will finally be able to cross borders and vice versa with Canadian teams finally being able to play in the States. Former Arizona head coach Rick Tockett has had his second interview with the New York Rangers, so that I would almost assume would almost guarantee he's probably going to get that job because most of the time you do not get a second interview if they don't like you. A former high school player is suing the Chicago Blackhawks for giving a positive reference to a former assistant coach who sexually assaulted him. Now, this is not the first time this season that we have had problems with the Chicago Blackhawks and sexual assault. Not really looking good for them and their original six franchise. So, what do you think about this one, Dakota? That's tough. It is. It's not <laughs> what you want your you know your team to be known for. And, I mean, a high school player. And it was a coach l- the last time that they talked about it, yeah. too, right? Yeah, so l- they've had, you know, the last one happened in uh, around 2010. So, I mean, we're talking like 10, 11 years ago for most of these. It's And some of them, some of the coaches, like this one, they knew about, and they still gave a positive reference. So it kind of just makes the, the front office of the Chicago Blackhawks look a little uh, like they're not really sure what they're doing, or I'm not sure. What about you, Adrian? Yeah, I mean, obviously, not a good situation overall. Um, it's it's something where, you know, they knew about it, and they still gave a positive reference. So at some point, you kind of have to say, hey, this is public. People know about it. Um, and obviously, it's terrible that it happened, and it's not something you should move forward with um, giving positive references about. What also makes you think of what else have they been hiding from the last? Like, is there more on top of this? Because when the first one came out, everyone was kind of shocked and surprised because this stuff normally doesn't happen in hockey or the NHL. And now, all of a sudden, it's happened again with the exact same franchise. So is something going on here? Do they need, does the NHL need to look at, into it more than they have? Or Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, at some point, if it happens once and it's done and they fix it, great move on but like kind of like what you said this is two times that it's happened to the exact same franchise so i feel like if the nhl doesn't look into this one um maybe they should think about doing a little something more proactive to see if there's anything else going on here yeah that's a uh, a tough look for chicago blackhawks and hopefully you don't get another one or else it might be a real problem well there's already a real problem there in general, yeah. with you know, the two, most teams don't get sued for almost the exact same reason. The NHL draft lottery for 2021 happened this last week, and we do have our official results. Well, I'm going to go bottom to top. In 16th, which isn't going to happen at all, is the Arizona Coyotes, and they had to forfeit due to cheating a couple years ago. In 15th is the New York Rangers. They went up one spot. In 14th, the Dallas Stars. They went up one spot. The 13th position is going to be the Philadelphia Flyers. They also went up one spot. At 12 is the Calgary Flames. They went up one spot as well. And in 11th, the Chicago Blackhawks. They also went up one spot. Now, all those teams I just mentioned, the only reason they went up one spot is because Arizona had a forfeit. Arizona was supposed to draft 11th. But since they had to forfeit, everyone else in the league shifts up one. So basically everyone on from 11 down 
to the last pick in the seventh round will be plus one than what they were going to be, you know, with unless Arizona didn't cheat. So in tenth is Ottawa. They didn't move at all. Vancouver got ninth. They did not move. L.A. and San Jose got seventh, seventh and eighth. They also did not move. Detroit got sixth. Columbus fifth. New Jersey fourth. Now for the top three, this is where it gets interesting. Anaheim got third. They were the only team in the draft to move down. Seattle, the new franchise for next season, went up one. And Buffalo secured its first overall in the the draft lottery. Buffalo has selected first overall four times in franchise history. Their last first overall pick was defenseman Rasmus Dahlin. So if you're looking at Buffalo and who they could possibly pick with the team they currently have now. Obviously, most of the time, first overalls help the team. Do you see Powers is probably going to be the first overall. Do you see Powers fitting into the Buffalo system? Or what system is somewhat there? I would not even... If you can call it a system. (laughs) I was on Powers, and I got drafted first overall by the Buffalo Sabres. I don't know if you guys know about Eli Manning, but he got drafted... To a team, and he said, I'm not playing there. Yes, that has happened in the NHL yeah. before, too. So, if I'm on pause, I'm just not going. And, and what is there to go to? You're going to have Eichel is already upset, and he's probably going to leave. So, that's like the one positive thing about going to Buffalo that you could say is, well, they have Eichel. Mm-hmm. And you would say they have Hall, but no, Hall got went to Boston. Mm-hmm. So, moved, yeah. you're just going to nothing. And a lot of their... <laughs> You know, they're free agents or UFAs and all that. They seem that they're not going to resign. Nobody's and neither would I if I was in Boston. Or, it's sorry, a hard Buffalo. place to get free agents to. I mean, who wants to go to, like, no offense, Buffalo, but who wants to go to Buffalo? Like, say if you're a free agent, you have on the board, oh, I can either go to Vegas or Buffalo. I'm going to Vegas. Yeah. Mainly so just because of the whole Vegas thing. It's just hard to lure people in there. Yes, it is, but it honestly shouldn't be. Like, they have a decent history in the past, yet they haven't won a Stanley Cup, but they've done decent in playoffs when they normally make it, you know, back in the 90s and the 80s and all that. But here in the 2000s, they have not been up to par with nothing. And this year really showed. What do, we, what do you think about that, AJ? I think the problem runs a lot deeper than just um, what players Buffalo has, uh, as you saw. They gave Taylor Hall and Lazar away to uh, Buffalo or to Boston for almost nothing. I thought it was a it was a different it was a later pick and um, Anders Bjork. And if you look at the impact Taylor Hall's made, obviously the people running the team are that that's that's their main problem. They need to restructure that whole start from the ground up. Um, and I, honestly, at this point in time, I'm kind of with Dakota. If if I had the choice, nobody's going to Buffalo. If if you could say, hey, I don't want to go, or if you can say, if there are two options on the table, Buffalo is going to be the last place anybody in this league would want to go. So so if you were Powers, you're not signing in Buffalo. If Powers were to be the first overall, which everyone kind of has a yeah. feeling he will be. If if Powers is the, is the first, um, I would be strongly weighing what else there is to do. Because it's it's not at this point it's not so much of saying, oh I'm gonna be the only good player on the team and I d- I'm not gonna have any help. It's it's not even just that. It's like I said, it's the 
um, it's the ownership, it's you know how the team as a whole functions. So the only way that they're going to fix themselves is if they get that whole team restructured because right now it is in shambles. If I were the Buffalo Sabres right now, I'd do what the New York Rangers did this year and just kind of fire everybody yep. and restart because just from the you know from the top people down, is something's not working, something's not clicking. If if Powers goes first, that means Benares would go second. I would assume. Would you sign with Seattle? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it would be because you don't even know who's there. I mean, but looking at the how they how the drafts are set up for Seattle and how they're gonna get to you know choose their players, I mean, looking at uh, how Vegas did it, uh, they went to the playoffs their first year. Like, I mean, obviously every team has its own talent, and if Seattle knows what they're doing and they have a very good expansion draft, I do believe that you know they're gonna be right up there and they're gonna fit in well. Um, my only concern with Seattle is kind of like what you said. You don't know who's on there, and it, it, they could build a system that you won't fit into, like a like a line A situation. He was on the Jets, and he was doing amazing, and he was you know arguably one of the best players. And then he goes to Columbus, you know, the, he had Tortorella, different system, and he has been you know, close to pointless for the rest of his... Yeah, subpar. Yeah, he, he was close to pointless for the rest of his season. So, I mean, if you don't fit in a system, you don't fit. So, if uh, I was I Yeah, if I was getting drafted, I'd rather go second because if you just look at the top 16, well, I guess top 15 if you're not counting Arizona, Seattle's just how the it's going to look for them of who, who they can take and stuff like that. I think they already have a better team than half these people. Yeah. On, like, if... If I'm not going second overall, I'd want to go 11th, yeah, which is Chicago. There's, I mean, because there's a big gap of teams that are just kind of in the middle of nowhere right exactly, now. Exactly, like uh, it, almost in the middle of a rebuild. Where maybe LA. Yeah, I maybe want to go to LA, yeah. mainly because of the, just LA in general. But they are they're they're a team that's looking on the upside. Mm-hmm. But everyone in between there, like Anaheim, New Jersey, Columbus, Detroit, San Jose, yes, they are rebuilding, and yes, like their future is looking pretty good with just like the draft picks that they have. But also I'm um, I'm I'm as a player I kind of want to be in the win now kind of mentality. I don't yeah. really want to sit around and wait for a rebuild like kind of how Carlson was on Ottawa. Mm-hmm. I would not want to really do that. Too. Do you guys know what spot that Hughes brother's going to go? I have a feeling he's going to end up probably third or fourth. I and hope he's in New Jersey. If he goes to New Jersey that wouldn't yeah, if he goes to New Jersey, that would probably actually work out pretty good for I them. I hope he would go to New Jersey. That would be dope to have a huge brothers there. Yeah, I thought but, I thought it was either – I think it was Jack. Um, it was either Jack or Quinn. One of them said, you know, if he's still available, when our team comes around, we're taking him. Like, we want him here. Well, the problem is if I'm Anaheim – I don't want the Hughes brothers Yeah, I, I, I'd want to break that up. Because yeah. Anaheim picks right before him. I would not want – the brothers together because what happens is you get you you already have chemistry with that guy. Yeah, you get like a Sedine situation. Yes, you're gonna have a Sedine situation is what you were trying to avoid. And Vancouver with the Sedines, I mean they're used to it. So I'm pretty sure they would be ones to do it. But I mean picking ninth and he's a pretty good player. Yeah. I don't see him going past five. But if I was Anaheim I'd honestly take him just so New Jersey can't take him. 
But then you also got to think of what does New Jersey need at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I don't think defense is their top priority right now. Goaltending is not even a priority at all because Mackenzie Blackwood is set in stone there. I think their problem right now is depth scoring. And normally your draft picks, if they were to play on their first year, normally come in around the third line, fourth line maybe, depending on who you have. So that seems like depth scoring to me, but we're also talking about a defenseman. So where does he file in? Do you have room for him? Is there – how's New Jersey on the cap? How's Anaheim on the cap? I mean, Anaheim in a couple of years is going to be pretty, pretty good team with who they have. So Anaheim has to look ahead to see how much money they're going to have to even get someone like that. Or, you know, you never know. There could always be a trade on draft day and someone could move up or down. So, Hockey history. In 1993, Montreal forward John LeClaire scored 14-37 into overtime to give the Montreal Canadiens a 3-2 win in Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final. This goal gave Montreal its 10th straight playoff OT win and is still an NHL record. Non-NHL news, the IIHF World Tournament is officially over. Team Canada takes home gold after beating Team Finland 3-2 in the gold medal game as Team USA takes home bronze after defeating Team Germany 6-1 in the bronze medal game. Moving on to COVID-19 news, two weeks in a row we've had zero players in the NHL COVID list, so looking good. Notable injuries from this last week, Montreal forward Jake Evans has a concussion. He is out indefinitely. Columbus forward Max Domi had surgery to repair a torn labrum in his right shoulder. He's out five to six months. Might miss the beginning of next season. Probably a little bit of training camp, depending on how that goes. Pittsburgh forward Evgeny Malkin had surgery on his right knee, and he is out till September, which is around the time of training camp. So we'll see how he's doing as well. Suspensions and fines. We had four fines. All of them are under contract with the Boston Bruins. So Boston forward Jake DeBrusque has been fined 5K for cross-checking New York Islanders defenseman Scott Mayfield. Boston forward David Krejci has been fined 5K for slashing New York Islanders forward Matt Barzal. Boston forward Nick Ritchie has been fined 5K for elbowing New York Islanders defenseman Scott Mayfield. So Scott Mayfield has earned the league a whopping 10K. And Boston head coach Bruce Cassidy has been fined 25K for his post-game comments on last night's officiating. It has been a rough season for, or a rough series for the Boston Bruins and these fines. From last night's situation with the Bruce Cassidy thing, how do we feel that game was ref? Do we feel like it was maybe leaning towards the Islanders? Are we agreeing or disagreeing with Bruce Cassidy's statement? I agree with it. So you thought it? You're I saying I thought it was getting leaned toward the Islanders. Like it's just it's like first of all, this is playoffs, so I think any th- penalty that is called should be like a blatant penalty, and that just wasn't the case in that game. It seemed like last night it was more of a nitpick penalties, and most of the time in playoffs you don't get that. But if it is going to be that way, if you are going to nitpick the penalties, do them all. Because it did seem like there there were a couple high sticks that were not called, and you know obviously they can't see everything; they can only see what they you know what they can see. But I mean, I think Cassidy was more upset with his team letting in 
three power play goals on what was it four attempts or something that probably needs to change as well and that's kind of how they lost that game not talking about two grass but i don't know what do you think about it aj yeah i mean watching the game um i think the very first penalty that was called was a slash um the stick was up in his hands it wasn't he wasn't swinging it it wasn't you know i it, it, it was a stretch to call it a slash um and then kind of like what you were talking about evan um it was a very if if you're gonna you know re- like ref that kind of game where you have little nitpicking penalties or if you're very strong on penalties do it for both sides the bruins got their first power play i think third period and you know that's just something or either the end of the second that's just something where you know you with all the missed calls that's not something that you can be doing because i mean i've seen with the islanders they got three of their goals on the power play so having a power play is a is a very big thing in this league so you change the change the it changed the game. It changed the series. Yeah, and if you if you watch the Bruins in that in that very first period, they were a different team. Mm-hmm. They were just buzzing. They were you know they were everywhere. They were shooting. They were getting really good attempts. They scored you know early into the game, and then you know after a while with penalty after penalty after penalty, you, that momentum is going to be gone. Well, yeah. Know? Also, you're you're resting. Like most of the time, your top guys aren't out there for. Like Pasternak's not killing a penalty. Yeah, like Bergeron is because that's just how he is. Yeah, but like like Marshan's out there a bit. But I mean, most of your your top guys aren't out there killing penalties. So you're sitting on the bench, and Boston outshot New York last night by a decent margin, and I think that's more of what Bruce Cassidy was saying. Not surprised the league fined him twenty five k. That's kind of a normal uh, number for saying stuff like that. But moving on to suspensions, we have one, and it was kind of a big one. Winnipeg Jets forward Mark Shifley has been, has been suspended four games for charging Montreal forward Jake Evans. And as we mentioned earlier, Jake Evans is is out with a concussion indefinitely. This was a big uproar on social media. What do you have to say about it, Dakota? There was a lot happening on this play, and it I was agree. an empty net. I agree with the suspension. Maybe not the games, but... He definitely should have got suspended. I do think Evans should have had his head turned. Or looking up, you mean? Or, yeah, he should have been looking up. Or if you see Shifley like that, it's probably not the worst possible thing not to try to get a wraparound and get yourself obliterated. Probably a smarter thing to put it on the boards as he had people coming in. So uh, it's just a poor decision on both players' part and it ended up with Evans getting injured and Shifley getting a suspension. Yeah, I mean, um, if you look at, there's a different camera view I saw of Shifley. He started, you know, hustling from his own end boards. Um, and, you know, while he did glide, um, you know, you can't, after skating for that long, it doesn't do much. So I agree with it. Um but I'm, I mean, because truth be told, I'm surprised Jake Evans didn't have more issues than a, like, than a concussion. Because looking at that hit and the way he landed and just the force of it, that was, you know, that's something where, especially at the end of a game, 
that's not something that I mean it, it wasn't a really big game changing moment. So, you know, at some point it's like you kind of have to think about the intent behind it. But I don't know. We'll see, and I'm sure that the league's gonna have something for it. Yeah, Evans was uh, knocked out. I'd say probably right yeah, away. Oh, he was. The way he yeah. went down, he was not conscious. That's not how a person that knows what's happening. Yeah, and then goes down. And then to get stretchered off after that. You know, yeah, but apparently I've heard I heard things that they just did that to be precautionary, and they took him to the hospital. But I don't like all the things that I've read. He wasn't there for too long. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say I didn't hear anything much after that besides just him getting stretchered off and yeah, after the, watching it. The suspension of four games for charging. I think four is a little tough on the charging. I would probably, if if it were I giving out the, it would probably be probably a two or three. Charging, I do think, is the right call for the suspension. A lot of people are complaining about the hit. The hit was clean. Yeah. It was just the ground he covered to hit that person. And I also saw people complaining about charging means that you continuously stride into the person, and they were complaining about it, that he glided. He did. But as AJ mentioned, he was also going full speed from his own blue line, red line area. And, you know, you can pick up some pretty good speed on skates going from that distance. Just an overall, you know, concept of this is I think Jake Evans should have had his head up, to be honest. And it's a playoff game. And going through Shifley's head, I could almost guarantee that he was thinking you don't get a free goal. And it was at the time it was a one goal game before he scored, and Winnipeg did have pressure. And I also saw other people complaining about, well, Shifley shouldn't be going that fast. Well, if Shifley wasn't going that fast, he would have never been there to deliver the hit. So you're basically giving Montreal a free goal and a free win. So I mean, Shifley's a a hard player to play against. He's a good player. He crossed the line, and you know, he got suspended for it, and. Well, he'll have to serve his last game at the beginning of next year because how the series ended. But out of everything that happened, I think that Montreal took the harder hit because Evans was playing kind of unstoppable. The game six and game seven against Toronto, he was by far, I think, their best player, if you take Price out of the equation. He was by he was more noticeable than almost anyone on that team. The points aren't gonna show it for you there, but I mean, it seemed like he knew where he what he wanted to do when he came in the zone and stuff like that. So I mean, just looking at it, I think Montreal kind of took a bigger loss there since they are they're moving on. Obviously, Shifley is a huge loss to Winnipeg if they were to move on, but they did not. Um, do we have a timeline on Evans? Have they said anything, or are they just gonna? Or is it just kind of undetermined yet? They said out. They have him as out indefinitely, which is kind of whenever. There's no really timeline on out indefinitely, but most of the time NHL, you have to be out three weeks with a concussion. Okay, I just didn't know how he was looking for the next series, depending on when that gets over or even. We also don't know what kind of level of concussion he has, if it's a minor, you know, or if it's yeah. a more serious one. Obviously, he was, I mean, Shifley was cruising in. I would assume it's probably not a stage one concussion. I'd probably say he's probably up there in the two or three. But I have a feeling he's probably done for the year, if I were to assume. Another suspension that we've been uh, closely monitoring is 
the Nazem Kadri eight-game suspension last week or a couple weeks ago. Uh, the NHL suspended him for eight games, and then last week we talked about him. He had a you know a meeting with Gary Bettman, asking basically if he could get less games. Gary, you know, stood his ground and said, "No, you're you're gonna still do the eight games or what you have, whatever whatever you have left." And uh, so Nazem Kadri went to an independent arbitrator who normally almost guarantees you one to two games off of your suspension. But this time they did not. And so Kadri will serve his full eight-game suspension after a hearing and appeal with the independent arbitrator. So that's kind of surprising because, like I said, most of the time when you go to someone outside of the league, normally they can cut you some slack. I have a feeling they did not cut him slack this time because he has been in this position before. And I think the NHL is probably getting close to its wits end with uh, with Nazem here. So eight games. He has a couple games left on that. So we will not be seeing him for a couple more games. But if the, the Vegas and Colorado series goes, you know, a decent way, uh, he will for sure – play in a couple of those games depending on how that series goes do you guys feel that he should have got less games I mean the hit was pretty bad to Justin Falk on the Blues kind of unneeded at the point of contact and he aimed for the head completely and he knocked uh, Falk out I thought eight games was good I thought he was kind of fucking crazy to be honest with you to ask for less and then with the arbitrator, I was like, okay, well, it's probably going to get down to like seven or six games. and But they held their ground. So I think that was the right call by the league and everyone affiliated with that. I heard when he got eight games, I kind of knew they were going to – I knew he was going to appeal it because they always do. If it's that big of a suspension, that, you don't want to be That's a big boy out. suspension. Yeah, you don't want to be out for that many games. And then when I heard he was going to an independent arbitrator, I was thinking, okay, it might go to six. Because usually, like Evan said, it usually at least goes down a game or two. So I thought maybe it would go seven or six. But they held up at eight. And I guess there's really cracking down the people that are inside. What? How many months is it? The uh, It's three. The three months. So you yeah, had three two of rule. them within three months. So it's kind of a kinda, stupid rule, but whatever. It is kind of a stupid rule. How playoff suspensions work is... For one playoff game, that would be two season games. So if we were to bring this back to a regular season, that's a 16-game suspension. Mark Scheifele's would have been an eight if that w- if it happened in the season. So, I mean, that's what is more crazy to me is that that's actually – what that actually says is that's a 16-game suspension, but it happened in playoffs, so it's eight. So, like, I mean, most of the time you don't see people get suspended for, like, 20% of a, of a season. Yeah. It's either kind of – the ones we've seen like that are either you're just kind of done for the year or, you know, they're not 16. But, I mean, eight-game suspension, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I don't know. At some point, kind of like what you said, you know, he's been in this position before. I don't want to say he's known for it because he's, he's not really at that level yet where he's like, like – it's not that I expected him to do this. Like, whenever I saw it, I wasn't like – can't say I was like super surprised, but I also wasn't like fully expecting it. Um, but yeah, I mean, at some point the NHL has to crack down, especially with 
with it being a head injury, you know, Falk was knocked out. So that's that's not something where it's like like you can you can't really fix injuries that pertain to your brain. Like if yeah. something if something more serious were to happen, then he he could never play hockey again. So I don't know. I feel like it's good that they're cracking down on these kinds of things. It seems like the Department of Player Safety or DOPS, whatever you want to call it, they. It seems like most of the or not concussions, most of the suspensions they give out now that are big time like this is mainly based off of the fact of if did that person get knocked out. And I feel like that's not the route you probably want to take as an organization because some of these, you know, like like you know, some of them were like five thousand for cross checking, slashing, elbowing. You know, that's all good and all that but i mean 5k doesn't really hurt them too much the 25 to bruce cassidy that takes a chunk of change out of him but like games are what you know makes you know them pay and it seems like as of recent most of the suspensions have been kind of loosely based off of did that person get knocked out or or not and i feel like that's not the way we should probably be going with the league but i'm also not george peros so the playoffs, just like last week, they're still here, and it's still round two. We're going to start in the East Division, the Boston Bruins versus the New York Islanders. Last time we talked, this series was tied 1-1. One to one. Game one, 5-2, went to Boston. Game two ended 4-3, to three, and the Islanders won that in overtime thanks to an OT goal by Casey Zizekas. So game three is where we start today off at, and Boston won two to one in overtime by a goal by Marshan. Pretty good goal by Marshan. Very. He also had another one last night that was a very individual or very solo effort and uh, highlight reel worthy for him in the future. Game four went to the Islanders. They beat Boston four to one, and game five also went to the Islanders. Five to four, so the Islanders lead this series three to two. How do we feel about this series so far? I feel like uh, there's no way. I don't think the Islanders are going to win this next game. I think it's going to go to seven. Boston will probably win this game. It'll go to seven, and I honestly can't tell you he's going to win that game seven because it's really just a toss up. Yeah. It depends on what kind of game the Islanders play. Because if you watch the Islanders, a lot of them say it's boring hockey. It's, but it's just really defensive hockey. And once they get ahead, their goal is to stay ahead. Yeah. So it's really just how the game turns out. If there's a lot of penalties, like if there's a bunch of power plays, obviously you'd think um, the way the Islanders did, like they got those four power plays and they scored on three of them. So if that happens again, then even if it's the other way, if Boston gets four power plays and they score on three of them, if one of that happens, then special teams is going to determine the game. But there's just no way to really give a for sure answer on who's going to win. So game six is next. And it's a must win for Boston or else they get eliminated. I have a feeling the refs are not going to have whistles. It's just going to be a very free-flowing game because of what Bruce Cassidy said. That benefits the Boston Bruins because they play that back-and-forth game. Islanders, like Dakota said, they like to play that defensive Hockey, like to, they like to get that one goal and sit on it, which is kind of dangerous, but it wins hockey games. Obviously, they've won, you know, three in the second round against a good Boston team. But I have a feeling that 
this I have I, I kind of there's two ways obviously this could go either Boston wins the next one or Islanders win the next one. For me, it all depends on who starts in net for the Islanders. Because last game they were thinking about Sorokin and like Sorokin had a good first round, but he kind of struggled here in the second. Varlamov came in and it's like, well, who do you trust now? Because I mean, he did let in four, but you still got the win. Who do you put in? I have a feeling if it's Varlamov, I could see the Islanders winning because to me, he's kind of hot right now. But I feel like if you put Sorokin in at this point, I mean, he hasn't played in, you know, a week or so. So, I mean, I feel like Boston would kind of take advantage of that. And you also got to think that, like, Tukaras did not have a decent game last game. So, who's starting in net? I mean, I'm 99.9% sure it's going to be Rask again. But, I mean, Swayman, he had a good regular season. Why not, you know, throw him in? The goalie lit in last night. I mean, he was also – he sat on the bench for two periods, so it was kind of cold. But, I mean, he's a good goalie. He could steal you a win or two. What do you think, AJ? I mean, looking at – the past games that the Bruins have played. Game three was not something that the Bruins should have won. Um, watching Marchand's goal, you know, we were being outplayed. You know, they were they were just being dominated almost every aspect of it. Um, and it's all about the bounces in this series. Um, going back to game two, the Sezika's goal, that, I mean, that was an unlucky bounce off of Charlie Coyle yep. and turned into a breakaway, so... I don't know. I could see this going to six games, um, especially with the goalie choices. Um, Varlamov has been absolutely insane this whole series. Um, he faced forty-four shots last night, and yeah, I mean, lit in four, lit in four, four That's of a, them. Yeah, pretty good. Save yeah, percentage. there's. I mean, I, I, you can't deny that he is one of the main reasons that the Islanders are, you know, really in this. Um, when it comes down to Rask or Swayman, um, Tuca has been talking about you know some things that have been hurting him, and he might not be performing at his best. Um, I forgot what game it was, but um, there was one where he he made a save, and just looking at him when he got up, you can tell something was kind of off. He didn't look right. Yeah. So I don't know. They might start Swayman. Um, but with that, you know, it's and his first game starting like in the playoffs yeah ever ever um and it's a elimination game yeah that's that's not something where you know it's it's not like a easy thing and that's always in the back of a rookie's head yeah but it happens but it, 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 happens. it does happen so i don't know i think it's going to go to seven um but i do believe that you know i i couldn't tell you who will win that i think you know, with home ice advantage, home ice advantage, Boston is going to be, you know, they're going to have, you know, the whole garden behind them. But playing in Long Island is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, the Coliseum so, gets going. It gets going. So, game six, I'm and guessing that's where Boston they're at for game six. Yeah, I'm guessing since it's in Nassau, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Boston might take this one, push it to game seven, um, just because. In that first line, and I mean, almost now the second line with Krejci and Hall, and mm -hmm. you know they, those yeah, the second two, line's dangerous. Second line, especially with Hall, yeah, on a second line. Those two, especially Krejci and Hall, they have been, they like at the end of that game, they started going, yeah. and so I think you know now that the Bruins, because that was their issue in the beginning of the year, was no depth, mm -hmm. and so now that they have kind of got those two lines going, I I could see them winning Game Six, and then. Game seven, honestly, to me, I think it's just going to be 
a game of lucky bounces. Yeah, whoever, all, whoever game gets, seven's always a toss up. Yeah, know. whoever gets a lucky bounce, whoever, you know, whoever capitalizes on the opportunities. I mean, the Bruins with forty four shots and you only score four goals. Yeah, and the Islanders with nineteen score five. Yeah. Like at at you some point, you also have to remember those were the three power play goals that kind of killed them. Exactly. Like at at some point, you know, it's kind of, you know, you gotta start factoring in, you know, what are what are we doing wrong to let in? I mean, obviously that game it was the penalties, but I mean, I think the the Bruins have been out shooting the Islanders in pretty much every game. So, you know, you gotta either look for more quality shots or you just gotta find a way to beat Varlamov if you're the Bruins. Varlamov is locked in. Last night, the third period was kind of rough for him. But looking at the Boston goaltending, the last two Islanders' wins have been 4-1, 5-4. I mean, that's nine goals in two games, which, I mean, isn't that, you know, odd. But, I mean, some of the goals that Tuca lit in, there was one that was a cross crease, and he didn't even go for it. Mm-hmm. He just kind of stuck his stick out. And it's like, so there's two variants of that. Like, uh, is he injured? Could he not get there? Or does he just not care? Yeah. And, like, Tuca has been known to just not care sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's also something where, I mean, I'm sure you know this, where if if you hurt something, and even if, I don't want to say you don't tell the trainer, but if they don't disclose it and say you're hurt, yeah, no matter what you do, it's in the back of your head. Yeah. You know, if, it, like... You know your limitations. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, if, if there's a puck going cross-crease, you're not going to be able to stretch out and get it. So, I, I don't know. I'm kind of waiting to see if something comes out about Tuca either later so like after the series if they win it or not i feel like there's going to be something coming out about tuca being injured during the series but for the time being i don't think they're going to say a thing about it they're just going to kind of keep it on the down low and wait to see what happens with the goalie situation so moving out west the colorado avalanche are facing the vegas golden knights last time we talked colorado led this series one nothing on a very impressive seven to one win in colorado in this series, the home team has won every single game. In Game 2, Colorado won 3-2 to in overtime, thanks to Miko Rantanen. In Game 3, Vegas won 3-2 to in Vegas. And in Game 4, they also won 5-1 to in Vegas. Series decided 2-2. Going back to Colorado and Ball Arena, does the home team continue to win all the games? In, well, does the home team win Game Five? Does Colorado win in Ball Arena, where they are very good? Yeah, I think Colorado's gonna win, and then it's gonna go. I think there's another series that probably might end up going to seven. I think Colorado will win, and then Vegas will win, and there'll be a toss up on Game Seven. Yeah, because these teams are so equal to where you can't really separate what one does better than another. Both teams are very good at home. And they've proved it all season long, and they're really proving it now. And with game one where Vegas put in Leonard, I thought that was a bad move. Uh, obviously, I was correct with that. But I don't know. It just seems like Colorado had that 2 nothing lead, and they're like, oh, Vegas ain't that ain't that good. Like They're not the shit everyone was talking about. And they let them get to them in game three, and then Vegas just kind of overpowered them and in game four, game five, you have your own fans behind you. I think Colorado will probably take that one. I have a feeling it'll be a close one, probably 3-2, 2-1 maybe. Maybe an OT game. Love to see those against these two good teams. Game six, I think, is going to be the big game. No, it's game five because that gives somebody one game away from moving on. I think game six is going to be the key one. Will Vegas win at home? 
if like so let's say if Colorado does win game five, will Vegas be able to win another home game to keep themselves? And then they have to go win one on the road. So I think game six is probably gonna be the turning point in this one. What do you think, AJ? Um, to be honest with you, I'm thinking uh Vegas might pull through this next game. Um they're you know, they're super hot. Um after their first game, which was just an embarrassment. Um yeah, I mean coming from a team like the Wild and having to play one of the fastest teams in the league, that's a big change. Um Yeah, we saw that. Yeah, <laughs> we saw that in game one, yeah. Exactly. And so now they kinda have their plans down, they've got their feet under them. Um and I mean from this team is rolling. So um, I'm thinking I'm, I do think it'll go to seven, um, and even if they don't win the next game, I do think that they'll win at T-Mobile, and then that game seven is gonna be kind of like what you said earlier. You can't. I mean, game seven's always a toss up. Yeah, but you never know because someone's gonna be hot, and someone's mad because they lost game six. Mm-hmm. So I I I I don't want to say Vegas is taking the series, and I don't want to say Colorado is because at this point you can't tell. But I Vegas is a lot different of a team than what we saw in games one and two it's i mean it's a, it's a very noticeable change if i were if i were vegas right now playing in colorado tonight i'd be kind of scared of the fact that colorado hasn't been scoring on me because in the last two games they've only scored three goals in total and they've really kept that top line off of it like you're telling me that tonight like Colorado's top line with their home crowd isn't going to be kind of electric, you know, mainly because they haven't been producing the last two games. But then that's also the whole thing of, like, the home team. You have the fans and all that, and every team feels kind of invincible at home, if you're good at home at least. I mean, some teams rather play on the road, but should be good. I hope it goes seven because that would be better for all the hockey fans out there. In the Central, the Carolina Hurricanes are facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Last time we talked, Tampa Bay led the series 1-0 in Game 1. Tampa Bay won 2-1. And we pick up in Game 2. Tampa Bay also wins that game 2-1. Game 3 goes to overtime, and Stahl wins it for the Carolina Hurricanes as they take home a 3-2 win. And in Game 4, it was a shit show from the goalies. And Tampa Bay takes it six to four. So Tampa leads the series three to one. They play tonight or later tonight for us. Does Tampa Bay win this series or does Carolina force a game six? I'm going to say Tampa Bay is going to win this series. I don't see them blowing three straight games with how much, how good they did last year and probably a lot of experience that they gained. I don't see them blowing this lead. I can see Tampa Bay blowing three lead or three wins in a row. I don't see Vasilevsky blowing mm. three games in a row. Is my problem. I think Vasilevsky's really had himself a season or a, a series here. And to be honest with you, Game Four, Carolina probably should have won. You beat Vasilevsky six or four times, and you don't win that game. Like when that doesn't happen too much. I know Tampa Bay has the offense. They scored six. But, I mean, Vasilevsky's lit in – he lit one in in game one, one in in game two, and he lit in three in game three, but that also was in overtime. 
so you needed extra time to do him or to get the goal. Game four, you get in his head and you score four, but you led in six. Yeah. That should have been your game to win. It should. Be, I have a feeling. I feel like this game or the series should be tied two two, but it's not. You know, bounces go different ways. Three one, Carolina must win tonight. Yeah, even if um, even if uh, Carolina pulls one out tonight, with the way Vasilevsky has been playing, I don't see it going much further. Um, Carolina is a very good team. They have a lot of skill. Um, but Tampa, they have been on a run for these past few years, and especially with you know Vasilevsky, he's let in. You know, one goal um, in the first two games, and then he let three goals in the third game off of overtime, and then to let in four, I think, you know, I think he's going to go through kind of a reset and be like, you know, I've I, I've let in a little more than what he normally does, but um, yeah, I think Tampa's winning this. I just don't know if it's going to be tonight or the next night because it's they're a very solid team. Game four was a missed opportunity for the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, they could have. They not only could they have, they should have tied that up. The an interesting stat coming off of uh, Vazzy is he's not lost back to back playoff games. Wow, like ever. So, like right now, the task at hand is beating him three times in a row. Yeah, that's that's uh, exactly. I mean. Now, obviously, records can change or, you know, stats can change. Yeah. But I mean, just the team itself, and they're the cup champions from last year, and they kind of know they've been through adversity. And I really don't – I feel like Carolina's a better team than what they have shown in this series. But, I mean, the pucks bounce where they want to bounce. So it's a 3-1 series. In the north, the Winnipeg Jets are facing off against the Montreal Canadiens. Last time we talked, this series had not started yet. And as of now, this series is done. So, <laughs> game one was 5-3 Montreal. That's the game that Mark Scheifele got suspended in. Game two was a barn burner. one nothing. Carey Price shut out in game two. Now, that those both those games are in Winnipeg. Now they move to Montreal. Game three, Montreal wins 5-1 in a very dominant game. And last night in game four, Montreal wins in overtime 3-2 to two, thanks to Tyler Toffoli on a backdoor, you know, basically tap-in almost. In overtime, Montreal sweeps the Winnipeg Jets as Winnipeg swept in the first round. So they swept to get swept. That's my favorite. I love when that happens. Like, their record in the playoffs are 4-4. Four and four. It's just kind of funny. So who... Stole this series. Was it Winnipeg's for the taking, or what? Or did the Canadians outplay the Jets? So, the Canadians played actually like they scored a lot more than they did in the previous series. Their offense really looked good, but games like Game Two is a game that having a good goalie like Carey Price can help you out because they won one nothing. And they could have easily lost that and it been 3-1. So for them to get this sweep, it's just really off of Price's gameplay. I mean, 3-2 Montreal, OT to Foley. So he only 
really led in two goals through four periods, which is more than you can ask from a goalie. So I think really Price helped Montreal win this series, and then their offense kicking it up a notch really got them there. Well, game two was all Price. Yeah, he shut you know, a shutout in the playoffs is a pretty rare occurrence because both teams are you know they need the wins, and with Montreal only scoring one, uh, Price you know stepped up, and like we mentioned earlier, ever since game six of Toronto, Montreal has been a different team. They've wanted it more. Winnipeg had the the week off because they swept Edmonton, and they were not ready to play in Game 1. They did not show up really at all in Game 2. Game 3, they kind of got the shit kicked out of them, and they finally showed up in Game 4. But, you know, Montreal was playing the same style of hockey they did the first three games. It seemed like they figured out the Jets before the Jets could figure out what they wanted to do. So, I mean, a sweep in the second round is kind of a hard one to take, but, you know, it happens. Yeah, and, I mean, kind of like what, you know, we all talked about, the Canadians are a different team. They they beat the Maple Leafs, the, you know, the top-seeded. The best team. The best team in that by division. By 18 points. That still blows my mind. They were the best team by 18 points and lost to the fourth-seed yeah, team. That, it's like, Who barely made play. Not barely made it, but they were struggling. Yeah, they, I mean, that. truth be told, that whole division besides Toronto, it's they've been struggle in the regular season yeah. um so for them to one make it to the playoffs and beat the um and beat the top seeded team and then to sweep the next round that's i mean you can tell if something's going on there that's like they they are they are a different team i don't know what it was that started them but yeah um and carrie price has just been playing absolutely amazing i mean letting in six goals in four games that's i mean you can't really complain about that at all so that should win you a playoff series yeah that i mean that's exactly that not only should it it that's what wins you playoff series yeah. you know if you if, if you have a goalie that only lets that in you're you're set yeah you, i mean obviously you have to score but you can't you can't ask for much more i mean just in game one and three hellebuck already had 10 goals against. Now, granted, some of those are empty netters, but just looking at the final score, you're already at 10 goals in just two games. Mm -hmm. And Carey Price was basically half of that. Yeah. In all four. So, But also, the shutout helps you a lot. But looking forward, Montreal will have to play either Colorado or Vegas, whoever wins that. Does this off-break affect the Montreal Canadiens? Let's say Colorado-Vegas goes seven. You're talking probably about another week. Of them just sitting around. So, well, it's at least going six because that series is tied two to two. So, does this break affect the Canadians, good or bad? And will Price be able to, you know, like, shut the door on one of the top teams in the league? Now, I think it helps them a little bit just because they face Toronto, who's a very tough team to beat. And then they had to put in a lot of effort coming back from 3-1. And then now they sweep them, the Jets. So maybe a break will actually help them just because they've been pushing themselves so much. Maybe a little break and then they come back. Now, I don't see Price absolutely, if, say, Colorado wins, I don't see Price shutting Colorado down. So that's going to be a series of whoever scores the most goals, which the way Montreal's been playing, they can do is score goals, but... 
I think the price is going to have to – he's already stepped it up, but just keep it going because if it goes down and you're going against Colorado, probably most fastest team, uh, most offensive team there is, then you're going to get beat. Yeah, I mean, um, moving forward, after this break, I don't – I don't know. I don't see um, Montreal really – at least being as dominant as they were uh, early on because they had seven games against Toronto and then they went straight into this four game series. And I mean, coming off of beating the top seeded team in a game seven, that's huge. And that does a lot for the team, but having to take this little break, obviously it's not going to kill them. It's not like they're going to come back a whole different team and, you know, get, I, I, I'm not saying that won't happen, but it's not likely at all that in, you know, this round of the playoffs, they're going to get swept by whoever they play next. But um, I do think it's going to be a lot different picture than what they have seen. Um, just simply for the fact that, you know, they have this little break. They were on a hot streak, and I think this is going to kind of cool them down a little bit because taking, I mean, at least a week off for, um, depending on how many games the Colorado and Vegas goes, like taking at least a week off is it does a lot to kind of cool down the team. So we'll see, but yeah, I do I do hope that um you know, they kind of stay a little bit hot just cuz it'll be kind of interesting to watch especially with Carey Price. Yeah, in the playoffs you normally don't want to sweep a team. Yeah. <laughs> because you get time off. Yeah. So if it were up to the coaches, they would probably want you to play 5 or 6. Now, obviously, that's six more periods of you possibly getting hurt. But, yeah, normally breaks kill a team. Yeah. So. But Montreal has kind of almost seen Vegas and Colorado already this playoffs. They saw the offense from Toronto, and they saw the Vesna-style goaltending from Hellebuck and the Jets. So they've seen basically Vegas and Colorado, but split in half. They saw the offense from one team, the goaltending from another, which is basically what Vegas and Colorado are, but in one. So you've already you've already shut down the offense, and you've already beaten the goaltending. Can they put that together in a seven-game series after having a week off? That seems hard to me. Yeah. But, you know, Montreal has surprised us twice already. Exactly. So <laughs> I'm, not putting, I'm not putting it past them, but it— I'm really not going to bet against Price because he is a different animal in playoffs. Yeah. But— I'm more worried about the week off. Exactly. Yeah, that's my only concern. The Jets did not fare well with the week off. The Colorado did, but that's a whole different style of team that they have set up there. So it all just kind of depends on what we're looking forward to next. And they really don't know. They know the two teams, but they don't know how and when and stuff like that. So I don't know. This, the Montreal wins the North. Kind of. Unsu- like surprisingly, yeah, because everyone was kind of having uh, Toronto or Edmonton coming out of the North, so Montreal with the most cups in NHL history kind of shows why they're the Montreal Canadiens. Anything else from you guys? It's been a long one. We got talking into most a, of the games, about every single game we've talked say, about. Actually, been a good one. Yeah. We actually went in depth, and you know, we said that from the beginning of the playoffs that, you know, less teams. We're gonna talk more about them because we want to get these, you know, episodes kind of long enough to 
even care about listening to. But <laughs> We're getting there. Anything from Uticon? Nah, none from me. Nothing from you. I mean, yeah, nothing from me. Um, I'm just excited to see where these playoffs take us, and uh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully we get you know a good amount of game sevens because I mean that's just more hockey. That's so the best for us. Exactly. More to talk about. Yeah, more to talk about, more to watch. So yeah. can't complain. So we might have a schedule change because we do record on Tuesday mornings and this is then posted Wednesday mornings due to other things in our lives because all we do is not hockey-related things. We do do other things out there. We might have to change to where we record on Sundays and we post on Mondays, but we're not sure about that yet. So next week, if you know it's Wednesday comes around and the podcast isn't out, It'll probably be out on Monday. So it'll be an actual like a week and a half of, you know, stuff. So we're going to take it week by week to see what changes, if there's a change at all. But if not, you know, expect us on Wednesday morning every week. If not, it might change. We'll try to let you know about it, but, you know, it goes day by day, week by week. But this has been the 22nd episode of the Fanville Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Twitter at Fanville Podcast, all lowercase. We hope you guys have a good weekend. We'll see you Wednesday, but maybe Monday. Who knows? Who knows? See you whenever. Yeah, we'll see you. See you whenever.